Our epistle lesson from 1 John will serve as the basis for our meditation this morning. There's a story about an early church leader named Augustine, who way, way back in the years of the early church was confronted by a great heathen. And this heathen pulls out of his robe an idol carved out of wood and thrusts it right in the face of Augustine and said, here's my God, show me yours. And Augustine thought about it for a moment, looked at him and said, I can't show you my God. Not because there's no God to show you, but because you, great heathen, don't have the eyes to see him. You know, I thought about that and I thought, that pretty much sums up what Christian life is about, doesn't it? Christian life means being holy. H-O-L-Y. And being holy means that we must holy, W-H-O-L-L-Y, be Christian. It involves our entire being, our eyes, our ears, our mouth, our hands, our feet, our hearts. That's the idea that I want to chew upon with you this morning. This idea that our whole being is required to live our lives fully for God. In the early years of the church, we might imagine that it was easier to live a holy, holy life. As one commentator put it, his name was Nijay Gupta, he says, sometimes we think of the first century as kind of a, well, a honeymoon period for the Christian church, where the church led by the Spirit um, was the ideal of holiness and unity. And you think about it. What does John say? John says, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our own eyes, which we looked upon and touched with our hands concerning the word of life. Think about that opening salvo right there. They were there. This is still fresh for them. They had seen it. They experienced it. They'd seen the word. They'd, they'd heard it. They touched the word. They witnessed miracles. They experienced fellowship. They'd seen healings. Just look at the book of Acts. Right after, after Pentecost. There they are. They're sharing things amongst themselves. Living in fellowship and, and great unity. Caring for the poor. Continuing to spread the word. But even this holy, holy picture that we might have of that early church it isn't perfect. This first letter from John, which is considered a Catholic epistle, not Roman Catholic, folks, but Catholic meaning a general letter, seems to be addressing issues in the general Christian communities. There seems to be some implication of division amongst them, splintering over differences. Among these issues are some question the human nature of Jesus. They don't believe that He was human, that God would ever do this. Others believe that Jesus was just some vessel that some lesser demigod spoke through to proclaim a message. Others don't recognize the authority that Christ had given to the apostles because they don't recognize Jesus as a Christ. Some believe in a spiritual nature of Jesus as they, you know, they just believe that Jesus is sinless and perfect and because they believe that, then they themselves are the exact same thing and no further action is required. What they're basically battling here in these early centuries is Gnosticism and, and some other things. But what we get is a picture of imperfection in these Christian communities. 
And so John writes to address these issues, and he does it in a way that points out that in order to recognize God for who He truly is, one must submerse himself wholly to recognize the holiness of God, to recognize that God is the one true living, breathing God, whoever is, ever was, and ever will be. And hence the language that John uses as he opens the letters. We have heard. We have seen with our eyes. We have looked upon and touched with our hands. It's interesting to point out here that when they use the word touched, it's not just a light tap, just, uh, you know, kind of a moment experience. The Greek word here is selepheia, which means, in broader terms, physically examined, kind of like a doctor does. I mean, he's talking about when, we, when we've thought about, you know, um, touching with our hands. Think of doubting Thomas and Jesus when Jesus says to doubting Thomas, stick your fingers in these holes right here, right? Experience this. This is what John's proclaiming. Ah, we didn't just see God in passing or hear about it. We experienced them. We spent time with them. This is the most important thing to recognize. It's experiential. This is what we need to do to believe and confess what we believe. It's not enough to just say, oh, I believe in Jesus. I'm a Christian. Not enough just to come to church on Monday and show something else on, or come on church on Sunday and show something else on Monday. That's not what it's about. It's important to recognize that as John uses his language, he's both showing where his authority comes from how you acquired it, and then in order for a person to know and understand that Jesus is the Christ, the risen and triumphant King, one has to reconcile the incarnation of God. That means being wholly submersed in the Word with our entire being, not just bits and pieces. So as John continues after starting with this language, he testifies and then proclaims what he believes about Christ. He says this, the life was made manifest, and we have seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. And as John will go on to point out, it's not enough to just believe to have knowledge of God and to proclaim with words. There is a reason why John points out, or should I say, calls out this community or these communities. And he says, you know, there's a reason that life as a Christian is more than just knowledge and belief. That the Christian life requires our entire being. And so John speaks to the fellowship with God. And as he does so, he uses action verbs like walk, practice, this is what he says. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the faith, the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, then we have fellowship with him and with one another. And the blood of Jesus is, that is his son cleanses us from all sins. That's important. How many of us walk around sometimes in our lives saying, oh, I'm a Christian. 
wear a little cross around our neck, show up to church on Sunday, right? Go through the motions. What about the other days of the week? How are we proclaiming Christ? How are we showing Him? Saying and doing one thing and showing another? That's why Christianity sometimes gets a bad rap. Because we show something different than what we're supposed to be. What John points out are the marks of a Christian life. If we're going to talk the talk, we've got to walk the walk. And in reconciling the incarnation of God, that means if we believe that Jesus is the Word, then we must pay attention to the words that He speaks, especially during His life here on earth in His earthly journey. If Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, then we must desire to live out that life that He showed us. To do otherwise, to speak but not to act, to say we believe but portray otherwise, means we don't wholly embrace our lives as God's children. And then it's like we deceive ourselves and then the truth isn't in us. So being a history buff, I like to tell about history and things in it. But back in the 1600s, there was this 30-year war that went on. And Sweden was involved in it. And so while the Swedish king, uh, Gustav Adolphus, was, was slain, his troops were over in the Battle of Lutz and winning this battle, which, which is now Germany. Well, once they found out that King Adolphus had been slain, the whole country went into mourning. And all the dignitaries, all, you know, all the government officials gathered together and were trying to figure out how, who was going to lead their country. Who was going to be the next king? Some of them said that they ought to become a republic. Others said, no, no, you know, he's got a cousin who's a king of Poland. Let him take this crown on. And as all this was going around, the chancellor stood up and spoke and said, there should be no talk of becoming a republic or a Polish kings or things like that. And that there was, in fact, an heir to the throne. There was a little six-year-old girl named Christina who was the daughter of King Adolphus. And everybody else is like, ah, that isn't true. We've never seen this kid. Show us the evidence. Who, who, why are you just bringing this out now? So he says, all right, shut up and sit down. Wait a minute. And he goes back and he comes back out with a six-year-old girl and sits her down on the throne. Well, one official who became very suspicious of this sudden move and this sudden development decided to get up in the child's face got up on his throne and on his hands and knees and looked straight into her face, studied every feature of it. And after a moment of physically examining this, this child, he began to, to smirk and, and to smile. And he looked at her, and then he turned to the other government officials and he exclaimed, look at her eyes, her nose, her chin. I see in the countenance of this child the features of the great Gustavus. And from all the corners of the assembly ran out, Christina, Queen of Sweden. Well, think about that for a moment. I tell that story because what are people looking at when they look at us? Do they see the countenance of Jesus in us? I'm not talking about our physical features, right? I'm talking about those marks of being a Christian. Do they see grace? Do they see the mercy that, that Christ showed to people? Are we going out of our way to have fellowship with people, to proclaim, and not only proclaim the word of salvation, the word of God, but to live it out? If we were walking out of this church today and going to the grocery store or whatever, 
Would somebody be able to look at you in a moment's time and say, I see the countenance of God, the countenance of Jesus in your life. You know, there are times that we do that, but there's other times that, that we live contrary. And then it's like the truth isn't in us. And we're just making God out to be a liar. You know, you get out there and you curse somebody out on the road. Guilty. You get out there and you hold a, a grudge against somebody because they didn't say they were sorry. Guilty. You get out, I mean, you know, the list goes on and on of all the things that we do. And where does it all start? By not living in the light. Not tending to God's Word. And sometimes it's like we just tap Him on the shoulder rather than physically examining Him. And then we just continue to live in sin. But we need to be wholly invested. Because God is present and at work today. If we take time to use our eyes, we can see Him at work in this world. If we take time to use our ears, we can hear Him calling out to us. Changing us. Bringing us His peace and His comfort. If we use our hands and our feet like we're supposed to, we can be His workers that we're called to be in His kingdom. Providing for the poor and the needy, the broken, the mourning, the widowed. Living in fellowship, sharing our things amongst each other. And showing the mark of a Christian church. Think about God. God invested Himself wholly for His creation. Gave every bit of Himself up on the cross so that we can be reconciled and justified with Him. If we open our hearts, then we can be filled with His light and live that way with the Spirit that will guide and lead us to do so. And if we do sin, what does John tell us? We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is a propitiation for our sins, and not only for ours, but for the sins of the whole world. What greater gift than Christ Jesus? God incarnate. May our whole beings this year be fully invested in the Word. And may our lives be holy, holy. And to God be all the glory. Amen.